Welcome to the Catholic Sportsman Show, and before we get started, we want to, uh, of course, start with prayer. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Dear Lord, we ask you to uh, send the Holy Spirit down upon us in our conversation, and uh, we're so happy we can talk with Kramer today about basketball, and his faith, and his life, and his family, and we ask... Um, all the angels and saints to intercede for us and Our Lady in a special way. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of death, amen. Saint Sebastian, patron saint of Christian athletes. Pray for us. Blessed Carlo Cutes, Pray, for, Pray us. for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Randy, we're really excited to bring Kramer Soderberg here to the show today. Uh, Kramer is the um, head basketball coach at Milliken University, and he is married. He has three children and another child very soon on the way. Kramer, mm -hmm. welcome to the Catholic Sportsman Show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Excited to be here. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. My pleasure. Well, why don't we just dive right into the first question here for you, Kramer? Absolutely. Let's Absolutely. start by talking about your journey with your family, your current position, and your faith, and how you got to this point in your life. Sure, yeah. Um you know, it's, it's been a long journey, of course. Um, I've, I grew up as, as a cradle Catholic and, and the coach's son. So I've been around the game of basketball for essentially my whole life. You know, pictures of me in, in my diaper sitting on the side of the court, you know, watching dad coach. Um, so been around the game for a long time and um, had, a, had a good high school career as a player and, um, and then moved on to college, played two years of division Division One college basketball at Miami of Ohio, and then I transferred um, back to my hometown, St. Charles, Missouri, and played two years at Lindenwood University for my dad, who was then the head coach at Lindenwood. Um, I was his assistant for three years after I graduated and finished playing, and then um, after that, I came to Milliken University, which I'm at now as an assistant coach. I was an assistant here for six years, and um, I just got hired as the head coach uh, back in April of 2021. And went through my first season as a head coach. Um, like you guys mentioned, I have a, a wife of eight years, and I have uh, three children right now: a seven-year-old boy, five-year-old boy, and a three-year-old daughter. Another daughter on the way that's uh, coming to us any day now. And um, yeah, just just loving what I'm doing and trying to grow in my faith each day and be the best husband and father I can be. That's great. And, um, and congratulations. And this year, you guys had a winning season and you made the uh, college conference uh, tournament for Illinois and Wisconsin. So for the first time for your school. So that is awesome news. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a, an exciting season. Um, you know, taking over at Milliken was, was a big challenge in, in respect of, you know, what had been done in the past and, and Milliken struggles, you know, throughout its history from a basketball perspective, at least its recent history. And um, yeah, it took over with a, a daunting task, most certainly. And many people, you know, kind of saying, ah, it's not a good job or it can't be done, so on and so forth. And uh, I tried to tackle that as best I could. And, and like you mentioned, we had uh, a winning season for the first time in a, in a long time. We made our uh, conference tournament for the first time in school history. So there was a lot of firsts this year and um, that it was, it was a special season for me, most especially, you know, being able to do it with a group of young men that I got to do it with. And they were just great kids and believed in what I was, I was selling them and, and they bought into the system and the culture. And, and we did some special things last year and hopefully it'll be a great building block for the years to come. Right. And don't you love those challenges? Oh, you know, that's not a, that's a tough job to take. Yeah, bring it on, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then we were picked. You know, we were picked ninth to finish dead last in our league. You know, this year and all those little things that 
you know, as a competitor that motivates you, you know, you want to, you want to prove people wrong. You want to do something that's challenging. You want to face down the Goliath and see if you can take them down. And that's, that was, that was the, the appeal to me about this job is yeah, of course it's hard. And what's wrong with that? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So what, so what was the key to the team this year? Like really that kind of coalesced that brought you to this winning season? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I would say first and foremost, I tried to establish a, a culture um, that, that I think could bring a, a winning mentality to our program. And, and I think that's when you're taking over a program, especially taking over a program that maybe hasn't had success recently, you, you have to start with that foundation. You have to start with a culture um, and a winning culture. And then on top of that, you have to get your players to buy into that culture and, and take it on as their own. Cause um, you know, of course it's important for the coach, you know, to bring in the culture, but if, if the players don't take that culture and say, okay, this is now ours and, and take some ownership in it, then it, it, it'll be a little bit shaky. But I, I was, I was so blessed to, to have the players that I coached this year, all good, very good young men, you know, young men who have, you know, invested in basketball and who are great teammates and great students, uh, so on and so forth, great character, young men. And, and when I brought that culture, that vision to them, they took it on as their own. They took ownership in it and they, they earned uh, what they received this year. And um, that, that was kind of the most gratifying thing for me is to see a group of young men all come together and achieve something that was, that was really difficult and something that we mentioned earlier that not a lot of people thought we could do. Yeah, they almost have to think that you are authentic and that you really believe in your culture and your philosophy, exactly. right? To buy exactly. into Yeah, that's quite a testament yep. to your personhood. So, um, so what were the big challenges then to overcome for this season? Yeah, I think, I mean, of course, a lot of challenges when you play in a league that's as good as ours. Um, but I think the, the first thing that kind of comes to mind when, when you're taking over a program that I've mentioned a few times hasn't had the success in the recent years, you, you have to, you have to reestablish a winning mindset where you kind of have to get out of this mold of like, uh, we're Milliken and this is what happens at Milliken. And you almost have to reframe everybody's mindset, not just the people's mindset of, you know, within the program, but you have to like earn the respect of all the other coaches and all the other teams in the league. You have to earn the respects of the officials in the league because there's just been this buildup over the years of like, yeah, Milliken's bad and, you know, they're going to be bad. And that changing that kind of just that mindset, I think is, is one of the biggest challenges that you have to face when you take over a program that maybe hasn't been that good in a while. And that's what I wanted to kind of bring out of myself, you know, just my background as a player is I've, I've always been a winner. I've always come from winning programs and I wanted to bring that out of my players and instill a confidence in them that maybe hadn't been there in the past a, a still a vibe of our team that no we're we're winners and, and we are going to compete at a high level and we're going to prove that to the rest of the league and we're going to earn the respect through all that so I think that probably first and foremost was that the biggest challenges of just kind of flipping over that that mindset that had been there for so long and, and then establishing a winning culture and a winning confidence that um that you have to have and confidence of course doesn't come just because you say you have confidence you have to earn your confidence you know like you have to put in the work daily and and then do some things that prove to yourself like okay yeah we can do this we can we can accomplish the things we set out to accomplish and then the confidence builds and builds and i think that's what happened over the season excellent that's great looking forward to next season what are you excited about Oh man, every, every season is, is a new journey and, you know, faces down its own challenges. Um, this year we had, we had five, five seniors, uh, four of which contributed pretty heavily. So I think one of the things I'm most excited about is kind of re-engaging that challenge with my young guys. Um, I did have a very young team this year. We played a lot of freshmen and a lot of sophomores, um, so we have some guys with experience coming back, 
But that being said, when you lose, you know, three to four seniors who contributed quite a bit to a team, there's kind of that, that um, new step that the younger guys have to take, that new ownership that they have to take in things. And I think I'm excited to, to step forward with that group, face a new challenge. And I told our guys when we, you know, started our workouts um, this spring is that as hard as last year was, you know, taking over a program that had struggled for so long and doing the things that we did, accomplishing the things we accomplished, I told them this next season is going to be that much harder. You know, no, no longer are people going to overlook us. You know, we, we have, we have mm -hmm. put ourselves on the map and now people are going to be ready for us and they're going to be done in for us. And um, there's a level of expectation now that, okay, you did this, you went 14 and 12 in your first season. Now, what are you going to do the next season? And that brings about a level of, you know, pressure um, that maybe wasn't there last year. That brings about another challenge that I think I have to face, but I, I'm so excited to go to, to go to war with the young men that I have in my locker room right now, because like I mentioned, they're such good kids. They're, they're high level competitors, just like I was as a player. Uh, they really want to be good. And I'm just, it, it was a joy this past season to go to practice mm. every day. And I'm just looking forward to doing that again with my young men. Yeah, right. Just to get at it for sure. And, right. and like you said, Kramer, like you'd played obviously in college division one before, and your father was a coach. You had mentioned your father too. So you have all this life experience what is the most important skill as a coach? It's quite a responsibility, to, you know, to lead all these people. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's, it's most certainly, uh, you know, kind of, it, it can be daunting sometimes when you kind of think of the influence that you have over young men. And, you know, there's that old adage of, you know, a coach influences more, ki you know, more kids in one year than some people do in their whole lives. And that's, that, that can be daunting most, most certainly. And you kind of, you know, you reflect on things and realize that this time in, in young men's life is so important for the, their future. Um, you know, answering the question about what's most important for a coach. I think there's a lot of things that, that go into it, but the, the things that stand out to me are one, I think you have to be, you have to be great with relationships and you have to be relationship driven. Um, I think you have to be a great communicator and a great motivator. And I think if, if you have those things, uh, of course, you have to have the X and O's, you have to have the understanding of the game, all those things are important. But if you don't have those first three things that I mentioned, if you don't build personal relationships with your kids, they, they aren't going to give their hearts to you and to the program. They're not going to play as hard as they can every day if they don't know that you're personally invested in them. And then two, I think you have to be a great communicator in a sense that you have to have an ability to understand one, what a player needs to hear at a certain time Two, understand, you know, from an individual standpoint, this guy needs to hear something a little bit different than this guy needs to. I need to approach this guy in a little bit of a different manner than I approach this guy. And then finally, I think you have to be a phenomenal motivator uh, of young men to, to get the most out of them. And it's so funny because, you know, going into my first season as a head coach, you think, okay, I really got to focus on the X and O stuff. I'm going to be thinking a lot about that. I got to, you know, get all that in place. And you do, you have to. But the thing I thought more about than any other thing during this whole season, I told my dad this, is I would, you know, spend sleepless nights thinking not about what I need to do with my offense, but what do my guys need to hear today? What, you know, what, what can I, what can I say to them that motivates them today to want to be the best they can be today when, you know, when we're halfway through the season and they're getting tired, how can I get these guys to, to take it up another notch? And I think that's the biggest challenge as a head coach is, is finding ways to continually motivate these guys and communicate to them, you know, what I need them to do. And then, at the same time, manage all the ups and downs that a team as a whole takes throughout the year, but also as individual players take, you know, because every player has a different journey. So that, that's a big challenge. I think the best coaches in the world all have a great ability to gain the hearts and minds of their players. If you can gain the hearts and minds of your players first, I think everything else takes care of itself. The best coaches do that. They gain the hearts and their minds of their kids. And those kids will lay it on the line for their head coach. And I think the coaches that struggle maybe have a difficult um, difficulty with that, gaining the hearts and minds of their players. I think that's the first step. Right. And you mentioned about just being the best version of ourselves, right? Trying to 
motivate your players to be the best they can, right? Which we all have to do, whatever aspect of our lives are, our job or family. Um, So how do you take your faith then and integrate all of that into those, you know, key coaching skills? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, for me, it for me it was a long journey for me from a faith perspective, and I don't want to be too long-winded with my journey, but, um, you know, I was a cradle Catholic, you know, born and raised in Catholic faith. My parents were devout Catholics, and um, early on in my life, it was meaningless to me. You know, I, I went to Mass because Mom and Dad pulled my ear and took me there, and then, you know, when I got to college, it was kind of a fall away time. I mean, I, you know, completely abandoned the faith. You, you don't have somebody telling you to go to mass every day. You can do whatever you want. And as, as you know, most people know it in the college world, there's the temptations of so much. Um, so yeah, I fell far from my faith during those years. And then, you know, after college, when the real world starts to hit you a little bit more and you're thinking about getting married and having kids and getting a job, you know, you start to reevaluate things. And that's when I slowly kind of worked my way back into my faith, um, started to question the Catholic faith a little bit and went away from it and then found my way back after searching for some things. Um, but right now, you know, I've gotten to a place where um, I, I've, of course, prioritized my faith as the number one thing and came to an understanding that, based on my priorities, my faith isn't just number one on the list, but my faith should be incorporated into every aspect of my list. And I think that's where sometimes we can get a little bit lost in this idea of priority is, yeah, God's number one, family's number two, you know, friends are number three, work's number four, and that's all well and good. But mm-hmm. if our faith, if God only has one category, I think we're a little bit off base. God needs to be number one in my prayer life. God needs to be a part of my family life. God needs to be incorporated with my friends and glorified in my work. And I think when you start to to work out your life that way, that's when everything comes together. And only later on in my life did I, did I start to realize, okay, God's not just, you know, one hour on Sunday. and, And when I say my prayers at night, but God is infused into everything I do as a husband, as a father, and as a basketball coach. Um, so that all being said, I, I don't, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm not an in your face guy, like with my players, like mm-hmm. I, I don't say I'm Catholic and you have to be too. Uh, by no means do I do that. I don't force mm-hmm. my players and my coaching staff to believe what I believe. Um, but at the same time, I'm not shy about who I am and what I believe in. Um, you can see behind me here, this is, you, you probably can't see it, but this is my program blueprint. And it kind of has all the things that I believe my program wants to be a part. And the first part down at the bottom is um, our foundation. And I tell every kid that I recruit that I show them this, this poster. And I say at the very bottom is my foundation. And it, it's um, the Bible verse, Matthew 7, 24, uh, whoever builds their house on rock is a wise man. Um, and, and I tell them that, that, you know, whether you believe it or not, or whether you, you know, are a Christian or not, that's okay. But I want you to know that my life is built on my faith and my program is whether seen or unseen, whether known or unknown is built on my faith in Jesus Christ. And and I'm trying to be that wise man who builds his house on rock so that when the winds and the storm come, my foundation stays strong. Um, and then, you know, I do, I, I actually wear a rosary on my left hip that hangs down from my, from my hip, um, all the time when I coach during practice. So, um, that, that's the way for, you know, me to display my Catholic faith without doing it in an in your face manner. Um, so I would say, you know, my faith is most certainly incorporated into my, my coaching, uh, career. Um, I don't shove it down people's throats, but I think the way I live, I hope, um, kind of makes my players say, hmm, there's something different about Coach Sodi, and, and I want to know about that. And I want that relationship that I've built with my players to become so close that when they do face down a trial or a challenge, they feel comfortable to come into my office and, and receive my help and, and receive my, you know, opinions or, you know, um, suggestions on what they should do. And hopefully that relationship, those conversations lead into greater topics of, you know, God and faith and things like that. It, it's interesting though, you know, when you're talking about the skills for a head coach, right? About 
relationships, communications, and being a motivator. And we were talking there. I was thinking about like a big thing for me is trust, which is it's part of our faith, right? Because we have to trust God. He wants us to trust in him. And ultimately it kind of like makes everything, all those come together that the players really ultimately have to trust you as their, as their leader and the coach. Yep. No, that, that, that is exactly right. Yeah. If I, and that's kind of what I mentioned earlier about gaining the hearts and minds of your players. The only way you're going to gain their hearts and minds is getting to a place where they trust who you are as a person and, and what you are doing in their lives. And when they get to a point where they know, okay, coach has my best interest in mind, you know, all the time. And everything he does is, is for that end goal, is what, is what is best for me and what is best for the team. And when you've gained that trust and you've built that relationship and they understand that, then you have an ability as a coach on, on a day where maybe I have to jump on a player, you know, on a day where I have to chew mm-hmm. out a little butt in practice, they, they can take that mm-hmm. and, and understand it as, no, this is just Coach Sodi loving me. This is, this is Coach trying to get the best out of me, knowing that I have more to give or that I'm not giving exactly what I should, whether it's on the court or in the classroom. And I think once you've built that trust, that's when the relationships really grow. And then on top of that, that's when you get opportunities as a coach to dive deeper into those more personal and spiritual conversations that you might not get right away, but that you get later on through that relationship, through that trust that you build. That's great. Yeah. It's all for your own good. Right. Right. That is great. Yep, just like just like God, we, sometimes we don't understand what's God doing in my life. You know, right. at the end of the day, everything God does is is for the best, for our best. Now, I'm not God by any means, um, but my, I want my players to know that every decision I make, I want them to know in, in my mind, I am trying to make this decision based on what is best for you, what is best for the team. Every action that I do is is out of love for you and I, I tell my guys often is if i stop coaching you if i stop yelling at you at practice then you, then you got something to worry about then you got something to worry about <laughs> that's a great statement i read that eucharistic adoration and the rosary are very important to you how do these devotions make you better oh great question um my goodness, that both are very important in my life. Um, I don't get to Eucharistic adoration as much as I'd like to, um, but I pray the rosary daily, try to get to the Eucharistic adoration at least once a week. Um, it, it has made profound changes in my life. Um, I'd probably say maybe two and a half, three years ago is when I began praying the rosary daily um, and Eucharistic adoration. When I moved to Decatur, we lived next door to a, a hospital that had a 24-hour adoration chapel. Oh, wow. And that's when I kind of first began um, going to adoration. And I, you know, to answer the question of how has it changed you, I don't think I can, I don't think I can like pick out like one like lightning bolt moment mm-hmm. or, or story that I can tell, but I, I, can, I can just know for certain that those two things have made a profound impact on my relationship with Christ. Um, the rosary drawing me closer to my, our blessed mother, um, making me feel more comfortable to call her my mother and to go to her as my mother and then allowing her as my mother to take me to her son. Um, and then from an adoration standpoint, um, I think the first thing for me that really stands out about that is silence, you know, and in a, in a world that is so caught up with noise, you know, we, I'm, you're never not getting noise. Um, you know, especially now as a dad of three, almost four, when I go home, it's noisy, When I'm in the basketball gym. It's noisy. When I'm in my office in and out noisy and Eucharistic adoration was an opportunity for me to just be quiet you know, just be quiet. And, um, and I think what adoration allowed me to do is not feel the pressure of 
you have to pray. Like you don't have to pray. You don't have to say something. Just, mm. just go there and sit. Just go there and sit. And I think as Mother Teresa said, I look at Jesus and Jesus looks at me, mm. you know, and, and I just listen. And that, I think that silence and that opportunity to just be infused with grace through the Eucharist, you know, I think has just been life-changing for me. And I, again, another saint, I don't know who said it, but if you sit in front of um, the Eucharist, you're, you're going to get a sunburn, whether, whether you're doing <laughs> something right or not. You, you, stand there, you sit there long enough, you're, you're going to get some grace effused upon you. So um, those two things have had a powerful impact on my faith life. And um, yeah, it's, it's special stuff. And what a witness, how many coaches wear a rosary on themselves? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's funny. People, people have asked me, you know, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And I probably started doing it, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, um, even before I became a head coach. Um, and I heard, I heard a talk given by Father John Calloway, who um, he wrote the book, uh, The Consecration of St. Joseph, that just came out recently. Um, and he has an unbelievable conversion story. He's a great speaker. Um, for anybody who hasn't listened to him talk, and especially his talk on Mary and the Rosary, it is just, it was life-changing for me when I heard him speak. But anyways, in this talk that Father John Calloway gave in, uh, on the Rosary, he talked about how, um, how a lot of nuns and um, monks and so on and so forth, they, they wear a rosary on their left side, you know, and you'll, you'll see that sometimes where a rosary is hanging from a nun's left side. And he said, do you know why they did that? And he said, back in the medieval times, um, soldiers would wear their shoes, their sword shoes on their left side. And huh. they would pull, because most of them were right-handed, they would pull their sword out of their shoes from left to right. And, um, and he kind of just had this way of saying, like, you are expecting to be a husband and a father, and, and you want to become a saint, but you're not carrying your weapon with you. Oh, you know, he okay. said, you, you want to slay a six-headed dragon with no weapon? You want to defeat the devil with no weapon? And it, it was almost like he was, it, it felt like when I was listening to that, it was like he was personally talking to me. And he was like, you know, you're, you're going to try to get through this life unscathed without your weapon on hand. And that it was just really powerful to me. And, and maybe that was just the man in me that was like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. You know, I want to get after it and I want to fight the devil. Um, but av after I heard that, I was like, that's something simple that I can do that requires no words. But I just I just latch my rosary onto a, you know, onto a money clip and, and hook it to my left side every day when I wake up. And yeah, I just go about my daily work and I coach practice with my rosary hanging from my left side and I coach the games and I go recruiting. And does anybody notice? Maybe, I don't know. Um, you know, does it have any effect? I, I don't know, maybe, but I think it's a small way of evangelizing and you never know. You walk past a person who is a cradle Catholic and who hasn't prayed the rosary in 20 years and they say a rosary hanging from my side and that maybe clicks in their head that I'm going to pick it up again. And I've, I have had a couple people come up to me and say, is that a rosary hanging from you? And, and that starts the conversation. You know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just one of those things that I started doing that I love. And it is also a reminder to me, you know, my rosary is always clinking my, my pant leg. And that reminds me of, you know, God's presence. You know, when I want to cuss at the ref during a game, I have to remember, <laughs> I got a rosary on my hip here. I better watch myself, you know. <laughs> you got mom listening to you. You can't cuss. Says Iggy, it's hard to cuss people that when mom's right at your side. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. When mom's on my hip, I better watch my tone. <laughs> That's right. I've never heard that story. And it, you, you mean Father Donald Calloway, right? What did I say? Uh, I, thought, I thought I said John Calloway, but I wasn't sure. I'm, yeah, you're right. Don, Don, Father Don, Donald Calloway. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Awesome speaker. Yeah, that, that book on St. Joseph he wrote was incredible. Yeah, yes, he just he's just great. And no, he he really hit me to the core with that talk on Mary. And he he challenged me as a man, as a husband, as a father, and, and I just loved it and I ate it up. So 
Yeah, I've been doing it for about a year and a half, and I don't plan on taking it off. That is great. What a powerful witness. Well, okay, so so you have the rosary there on your left side. Life's coming at you. Referees, life bullets. How do you <laughs> handle the stress as a Catholic a husband, you know, father, and a coach? What what are your go to? Uh... Yeah, man. Um, there's a lot. You know, I, I I try to go to daily mass every day. Um, and that's something that I've gotten from my father and, um, something that I always, I always, I've, I've had many opportunities to speak at different parishes, you know, in my, you know, in my time. Um, and I always get this question of, you know, I have, my son has fallen away from the church, um, or my grandchild, I, he's just not, he's not wanting to be Catholic anymore. He's not doing, but how do you get him to come back? And I, and I always say, I, I don't know, and I don't have a good answer. But what I, what I do encourage all parents and grandparents with is um, we, at, at least what I've noticed is children, so often they, when we say something to our kids, it goes in one ear and out the other, and they completely forget it. But children always see what we do, and they always remember what we've done. And that for me was something with my mom and my dad, in particular, my dad, who, when I was younger, he would go to daily mass. He would go to adoration. He would pray his rosary. And that was a seed that he planted early on that never sprouted roots until years and years later. Um, and that, that is, I think, something important that, that all of us parents need to hear is more important than what we say to our kids is what we do. And again, one of the reasons that I go to daily mass now is because my dad did that, you know, when I was growing up and I didn't understand it then, but all of a sudden I'm doing it now. And I think that's a big part for me to face the stress is that every day as a coach, you know, you have a new worry, whether it's a big game or you've lost a couple games in a row or, you know, the pressure's on, yada, yada, yada. Starting every day with daily mass, receiving the Eucharist, taking time to be thankful, to be grateful, to offer my stresses um, to God, I think is a huge piece for me and, and was a really important piece for me in my first year as a head coach. Um, and then secondly, for me, I, I don't know why I did this, but this year I had, I decided in my first year as a head coach to kind of just have a term or a phrase that was going to encapsulate my whole year, something that I could keep going back to. And my phrase this year was holy indifference, hmm. holy indifference. And um, what that meant to me um, was this idea that whatever happens this year in my first year as a head coach, you know, so much pressure and expectations and all that stuff. I, I told myself, whatever happens this year, I want to approach it with holy indifference in that God's plan is perfect no matter what. If I have an incredible successful season and we do the first, you know, first conference championship and all this stuff, good, God's will. If I fall flat on my face and we lose more games than we win and we, you know, just look miserable, fine, God's will. And I, I use that phrase to approach every day, every game, every practice, holy indifference. Now, I think some people can get confused by that a little bit um, in a sense of, you know, indifference, that's a bad term. You know, indifference means you don't really care. And, and that's not holy indifference. Mm -hmm. Holy indifference is I am going to give my all to be the best coach I can be. I'm going to try to win every game and have every practice. And I care about it. And I, if you know me personally, I'm a competitive guy and I want to win at a high level. Um, but holy indifference is that ability to give everything you have to achieve something that you're going after, but then let the result play out the way it plays out. Let the result be God's will and be comfortable in that. And it was a challenge, most certainly. This whole, you know, there was some losses that we had that we did. Oh my God, how did we lose that game? I should have done this. I should have done that. Um, but then you sit down, holy indifference. Okay, I, I gave it all I had. I, I prepared as best I could. My young men were ready, holy indifference. And I think that phrase really helped me 
get through this season. Um, and it helped me approach the, the negatives and the positives, the, the failures and the successes. And we had a lot of success. You know, we had a lot of people sending emails to me, you're doing a great job, unbelievable. And yeah, that's nice, but okay, you know, holy indifference, no big deal. You know? And I think you can use that holy indifference when things are going bad and when things are going good. And it allows you to stay very neutral and hopefully very close to God's will um, in that respect. Yeah, because we're going to have crosses in our lives, you know, for sure, right? And we're going to have consolations yep. and desolations. And if we're just detached from things, you know, what really right. matters, like what you said earlier, I thought it was really great. Your faith is incorporated not just in the first category. It's God and your faith and your mm -hmm. family and your friends. And it yep. all goes up and down to the ultimate goal. Of we're going all going to heaven or taking our family and our friends as much as we can drag up there with us, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And um, yeah, that is a great, great term. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the word you use, detachment, that, that's exactly like, that's what holy difference is, is just detachment from earthly desires, you know? Right. And I think I got holy indifference from St. Jose Maria Escrivá, if I'm not mistaken, he's one of my favorite saints, but um, he, he's, you know, is Opus Dei, you know, started Opus Dei, but that idea of detachment from this world, like, at the end of the day, does me winning 14 games or winning zero games, does it really matter? It's mm -hmm. not at all. It does. Like, what does it matter if I become the best college coach ever to live or I'm a laughing stock and I get fired three years later? Like, does it really matter at the end of the day? And it doesn't. All that matters is, am I helping my family and myself and as many other people get to heaven as possible? That That's the goal at the end of the day. And whether I'm a you know, um, a Hall of Fame coach or a laughing stock as a coach, at the end of the day, holy indifference, it really doesn't matter as long as I can achieve the goal of heaven. And it sounds like the holy indifference kind of takes the emotion out of, out of things for you. Whether you win or lose, it's, it's, it's God's will. So your emotion doesn't really matter about anything. Most certainly that that's what it I'll, I'll say that's what it tries to do, you know, now for me, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, <laughs> temptations of, so, of, you know, just, just losing yourself in agony when you lose or being so high about yourself when you get a big win is that's that human nature in us, that, those temptations that we have to battle. Um, but I think, you know, as I went through the season, I, I was able to get to a point where I could approach everything with that mentality of holy indifference, of detachment, and whether it went the way I wanted or not, I could stay pretty level. Now, being as honest and upfront as I can, I, I had bad days. I had days where holy indifference wasn't working for me, and I, you know, I, I struggled, or I brought a loss home to my kids, and that's what I don't want to do. I, I want to be, be the same guy uh, every day, trust that God's plan is perfect, give my all to be the best I can be, and then at the end of the day, know that uh, this life is just that blink of an eye that uh, we're going through. And uh, what's most important is that I get myself and my family to heaven. Right. And I mean, and wins and losses are important. Of course, we all want to be the best we can. Yeah, my, my business is winning and losing. If I don't win, I get fired. That, yeah. At the end of the yeah. day, that's, that's the truth. But, but ultimately, too, I mean, no one likes to hear this, but it's, molding your players so they graduate and they're the best people they can be because they're kind of going through your system and that's something right. to reflect on too you know yep yep that's exactly right every you know every time i have a recruiting meeting you know i tell the recruits and their parents that my goal as a coach is of course to help you become the best basketball player you can be but more especially i want to help you become the best student you can be i want you to help you become the best person you can be so that one day you can be the best father, the best husband uh, that you can be. That That is um, what I've found is most rewarding with being a coach in that when players you've coached, you know, go on and they, they become fathers, husbands, you know, they ask you to come to their wedding. They call you up when they got, you know, a big interview and got the job that they were looking for. Like that stuff is, is just so special far more special than any win or loss that you're going to have any championship you're going to win. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That would be beautiful to hear that from a former player or colleague for sure. Absolutely. So um, you have written a book, Bill, your 
for Christ. Yep. And, um, yeah. So let's uh, let's dive into the book. What was the inspiration for it, and and where is the heart of this book coming from? Yeah. So you mentioned um, fill your cup for Christ, and then the subtitle is a spiritual journey sown and grown through sport. Um, so the 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 inspiration behind it, I, you know, um, the the title I'll go into here in a second. Um, the inspiration behind writing the book, I, I really, I don't know where it came from. I felt kind of, you know, probably, I think it was, I think I released it two, two years ago, maybe three years ago. Um, but the, the kind of tapping on my heart to write the book, I, I like to think that God was telling me to do it and, and I listened. But when I first got that tap, say, you need to write a book, I about, started laughing, you know, cause I am, I am no author by any means. Uh, you know, I always joke I was a C plus English student and I should not be writing a book. Um, but yeah, I, I just had this, this feeling in my heart that I was called to write a book. And, um, the funny thing about that was that I, I knew what the title was supposed to be for whatever reason. I, I knew the title was supposed to be fill your cup for Christ. After that, I had I had no talking clue about what I was supposed to do. Um, I didn't know how to publish a book. I didn't know what I was going to write about. I just I didn't have a clue. But kind of in faith, I just said, "All right, I'm just going to open up my laptop and start typing away." Wow. And about about four months later, out popped a book, and it was I wrote I wrote on bus trips, you know, to and from games. I would, I would write, I would just start writing my book and um, yeah. And it came out. And then after those four months where I finished, you know, finished the, you know, internal body of the book, then I had to begin the process of, okay, now what do I do? You know, and I had to figure (laughs) out how do you publish a book? I reached out to publishers and, you know, it was just kind of this learning process of this dude who doesn't know what he's doing, who's most certainly not an author, who, thinks that God told him to write a book. So he's trying to do it. Um, it got so that in English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you'll notice that if you, if you read the book, you'll be like, okay, this guy is not the, the most knowledgeable man in the world. He's not uh, academic by any mean, but I think it, it can be good for people. It's an easy read, short chapters. Um, I write it in a, you know, a, just a normal guy kind of way. And uh, I think people attach to that a little bit. So um the title, um, Fill Your Cup for Christ, that that title is inspired by um, my dad, who I've mentioned a couple times. He's been a longtime head coach um, at Division One level. Um, he's currently an assistant coach at the University of Virginia. He's made stops at St. Louis University, at the University of Wisconsin. Um, so just had a long, successful career um, at the highest level of college basketball. Um, but when I was in sixth grade, my dad was the head coach at St. Louis University down in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and he was putting on a little kid basketball camp. Okay. So, you know, so fifth through eighth graders, whatever. Um, about halfway through the camp, he called all the campers together at center court. And he told us he was going to give us a little talk. You know, um, he said, guys, I'm going to introduce you to three basketball players. And I was excited because I thought he was going to introduce us to like some of his, you know, St. Louis guys, and they were going to come and dunk for us or, you know, do something fancy. He started digging around in his backpack. And like, what in the world are you doing? And he pulled out three different sized cups. One was a 64 ounce guzzler kind of size that you get from a gas station. One was a 12 ounce drinking glass. And one was uh, like a little Dixie cup. And he basically, you know, kind of, you know, played it up and introduced them. Oh, this is Big John. And, you know, he's six, seven and really big and he can dunk and jump. And then he went to the next cup and this is, uh, this is Jimmy. He's only about six, three, but he's still long, athletic and stuff. And then the last cup, he said, this is little Tony. And he's only Hmm. about five, 10 and he can't jump high and he's not very athletic. And the point of his whole analogy was it doesn't matter how big your cup is doesn't matter how much potential you've been given. All that matters is that you fill your cup to the top. Mm. All that matters is you mm. fill your cup to the top. You get the most out of your potential. And so camp went on. I played the rest of the day. We got in the car. We were driving home after camp. 
And um, my dad kind of tapped me and said, Kramer, what'd you think of my talk? Oh, dad, good talk. You know, I really liked it. It was good. And he said, "Um, son, just so you know, you're the small cup. (laughs) And that was kind of the first time in my life where I was like, okay, due to my gene pool, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make it above six foot, and um, I'm not gonna be very athletic um, and very strong, you know. So he was kind of presenting this idea to me that you don't have a whole lot of potential to be a high level basketball player. But he went on to say, Kramer, I know all the things that you want to achieve, and I had great desires to be a you know a you know a state champion and started varsity in my freshman year, played division one, go to the NBA, all these things. He said, I understand all those goals you want to achieve, but don't worry about those goals. All you need to focus on is filling your cup, your little cup, fill it all the way to the top. And at the end of your career, if your cup is overflowing, you are a success. Whether you achieve those goals or not, if you fill your cup to the top, you are a success. And that that analogy drove me as a basketball player for my whole career. And the thing I'm most proud about, about my basketball career, of all the things that I've accomplished and the awards and all that nonsense, I can say, honestly, when I finished playing that my cup was overflowing as a basketball player. Um, but, but only later on did I realize, oh my gosh, how profound that message, how profound that analogy is for my whole life, filling my cup to the top as a professional, as a basketball coach, filling my cup to the top as a father and as a husband, filling my cup to the top as a, as a Catholic man and being the best I can be in those regards. That story analogy that drove my basketball career now drives my entire life. And that story was the inspiration behind my book in that most of us, in my opinion, we don't fill our cup to the top from a spiritual perspective. Most of us fill our cup to the top in our profession. You know, we really want to be good and we want to achieve those things. Most of us hopefully are try to be the best husbands and fathers we can be. Um, but, but a lot of us don't fill our cups to the top from a spiritual perspective, trying to become the best we can be as Catholics or as Christians, trying to become saints striving to fill our cup to the top. And that's what my book is centered around is that idea of, no, let's, let's not settle for mediocrity. Let's not settle for lukewarmness in our faith life. Let's take whatever potential we've been given by God and fill it up to the top for his sake, for his glory, for his kingdom. And it's important too, like what you put in the cup, right? Because like you talked about detachment, if we put God's grace to fill that cup up, then, you know, we can live a, a Christ-like life. But if I put all my emotions, right. like Randy was talking about, or my attachments to worldly things, I, my cup will be full with, you know, wasteful things, right? So that's it, a really I have analogy. It's funny you say that, because I, I have a chapter in the book that says, empty your cup first. And yeah. it's that, that idea that, that we all fill our cups with different things, what, you know, whether that's, you know, desire of money or pleasure or honor, um, you know, it, you know, even, I even mentioned like the sharp edges of sin that can poke holes in your cup, you know, like you have to get rid of those things that are filling up your cup before you can fill it up to the top for Christ's sake. And, and those little temptations, those sins, those poke holes in our cup and they drain the water out that we're trying to fill. And that, that's a great point. You, before you can fill your cup all the way to the top of Christ, you have to empty your, your life of the things that aren't actually glorifying God. And that, that's an important piece to it as well, most certainly. And I'm thinking sometimes maybe you have to empty your cup on a daily basis. Oh, yeah, absolutely right. You've got to start over daily. You got to start over daily is, is is a huge spiritual key and a spiritual practice that I think most most high level saints do is you know that examination of conscience at the end of the day you know what what did I do today that that doesn't fit God's plan or is poking holes in my cup or filling my cup up with things that don't need to be in there and then try to remove those and start over the next day absolutely great point right yeah. 
you were obedient in writing your book. That's awesome. I mean, you just followed that call to do that. That was incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I joke with people all the time about you know about how I felt when you know I did that, and I, I really it it's one of those amazing you know graces of God that came kind of came into my life. Never in a million years did I ever think I would write a book about my faith, you know, uh, mm-hmm. especially my Catholic faith, and then you know begin speaking on it and, you know, going to parishes and men's conferences and, and talking about my fit. Never in a million years did I ever think that that would be something that I would do, but I fell head over heels in love with Jesus. And then I fell head over and heels in love with his church as I almost tried to deflect his church and prove his church wrong. I, I fell in love with the church and the truth that the church gives us. And, and then I felt like I had an ability and, and a gift that God gave me as a motivator and as a communicator because I'm a coach that allowed me to write a book that is maybe written in a little bit more of an approachable way. I think a way that, you know, just the average everyday person can read it and, and understand. And I wouldn't say I'm a high level theologian. I, I don't, I don't have a lot of academic talk in there. It's a lot of just normal every day. You see the coach in me come out. Um, I try to motivate, I try to encourage, and that's just who I am. And, um, my dad actually wrote the foreword to the book, um, which is probably a little bit weird to most people, but it just so happened the year that I released the book or that I had begun writing the book, my dad won a national championship, um, at Virginia. So Mm -hmm. that, that was in 2018. They won a national championship at Virginia. You probably remember that, but his foreword is just so incredibly powerful. I'll give a brief summary of it, but he he talks about winning the championship, you know, that I think it was a Monday night. And then as he did every day, the next morning, he went to daily mass. Hmm. And um, he, in his forward, he talks about the the vast difference between the 80,000, you know, people in the arena and the lights and the noise and the confetti falling and how incredible that moment was to now him in a small church with maybe 50 other people in the quiet chapel and this profound realization that as amazing as the night before was winning the national championship and achieving the highest level of, you know, any basketball coach would ever want to achieve. He realized that in the moment that he was there in that small church, that this was just profoundly bigger, profoundly more important than what he experienced the night before. On that altar, Christ, the Eucharist being consecrated into body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, he he just made this incredible statement of faith of that. That national championship, which in the eyes of the world is the greatest thing ever, is just nothing compared to this that I experienced in a small, dimly lit chapel with only 50 people involved. And it, it was just a great way to start the book. And I thought it, it, it really puts into perspective what we as Catholics get to experience every time we go to Mass and how eternally profound that experience is. Godfrey won the national championship. He emptied his cup, and went to Mass, and filled it back up again, just like Brandy said, each and every day. The best way to start the day. Yeah, it's amazing. It is just wonderful. So... Yeah, it's, it's been a great experience. The, the fruit that has come from the book, the amount of people that have reached out to me and said, this has really helped my faith life. This has helped me understand the church more. This has given me a desire to, to be better in my faith life, to strive for sainthood. It's just been just wonderful, more than I ever could have imagined. Um, and it's, it's just, again, totally God's grace just working through me. That's great. And we, um, we want to... Uh, call out we write like your subtitle of your book is a spiritual journey sown and grown through sports yep, and, yep. and that's basically what this whole podcast is about right we right. love to talk about sports and our faith and so sure. just to kind of wrap things up kramer we just want to give you a chance to share anything else uh for anyone out there who's listening like a way you know you talk about motivating and being communicating and setting up relationships anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up today yeah, from I, I think from a sports perspective, what you know, 
of course, anybody listening to this program is going to be a sports fan, and there's so many people who who love sports. And I think I think the reason we love sports is it, it does something in us that we all we all love the idea of chasing down a great challenge, and 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 trying to achieve that, and and putting all that you have into trying to achieve this one great goal, whether it's a gold medal or you know a national championship or whatever. Everybody loves that. And everybody understands when you pursue something like that, it's going to be hard. You know, like you're, you're not going to win a national championship without struggles and difficulties and pains and ups and downs. You're not going to get to an Olympics and win a gold medal without some difficulties and trials and really working hard at it. And for me, that's when my faith like began to click is when I connected my athletic experience with my spiritual experience in that I always felt like a Catholic church, it, it's just too hard. Like they're, they're making me do stuff that I don't want to do. I don't want to go to mass on Sunday. Like con- I do not want to confess my sins to a priest that is uncomfortable. And I don't want to do it. I don't want to fast. I don't like all these things that the church was trying to make me do. I was just like, no, no, no. But finally a light bulb went off and said, well, no, that makes sense. Like this should be hard. This journey should be hard. If if we're if achieving a national championship or a gold medal is going to be hard, well then of course achieving sainthood of going to heaven is going to be hard. Mm-hmm. Like that just makes sense. And I think all all people who are involved in athletics, all former athletes, or even somebody who just likes sports, understands that that yeah. Achieving something challenging, achieving something really difficult, it's going to be hard. So for me, yeah, of course, being a Catholic, it's not easy. Of course not. I don't want it to be. I don't want it to be the journey to get to a gold medal to be easy. I want it to be hard so that when I reach that goal, it's like, yeah, I did it. Um, And that all being said, chasing down heaven isn't I did it. It's not strapping up my boots a little bit tighter and muscling my way to heaven. Of course not. We can't achieve heaven on our own. You know, we, but whatever we do can't get us there, but by Christ's sacrifice on the cross and by his grace and our response to that grace, we can face the challenge given to us each day, the temptations by the devil, um, all those things that are difficult and, and face those down through the strength of Christ and, and achieve that great goal of heaven. And I think all athletes understand that and all people who love sports do. And when I finally made those two things come together, that's when I got excited about my faith. That's when I really got started with, okay, I'm going to give it all I got. I'm going to fill my cup all the way to the top as a Catholic man and, and allow God's grace to handle the rest. So I think, I think anybody who loves sports can get behind that. And then once you get behind that, you can understand that the Catholic Church is the place you're, you should be because the Catholic Church is going to push you like nobody else is going to push you. Absolutely. Yep. Amen. Yep, for sure. Well, thanks so much, Kramer, yeah. for sharing um, all of your thoughts, your book, and your life journey. Been great. Oh, it was my pleasure. And anyone, if anyone who's listening is interested, you can find my book on Amazon. Um, and um, I'm on um, Instagram as well. I got a little Catholic ministry on Instagram. My, my uh, um, little account name is a Catholic coach, a Catholic coach um, is my, my account name. And feel free to message me if you want to, if you want to book directly from me and find it on Amazon. And uh, I always love to hear from people who've read it with criticism or, or uh, whether they like it. And, um, but I'm just so appreciative of you guys allowing me to come on. It's been a great joy. And you have a website also, right? Right. Yep. Correct. I have a website, KramerSoderberg.com, um, which talks a little bit more about me and has some other podcasts and stuff that I've been on and ways to get my book. So um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been great. It's been absolutely great. Um, and I, again, I appreciate you guys letting me come on and talk about my journey. A right. pleasure. Well, Randy, you want to close us out in prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we thank you so much for Kramer and his witness today. We ask your blessing upon his 
family and his wife and children and his child-to-be. We pray for all those out in podcast land who are listening to this podcast. We pray that whatever we said today and whatever we discussed today would bring them somehow closer to you. We ask the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Thanks, Randy. Again, Kramer, thanks again. All the best next season. All the best for this upcoming week. <laughs> yeah, pleasure. good luck. Holy different. Yes, I Holy love that. different. I like that. <laughs> go Big Blue. Do the best you can. Let go. All right, man. Appreciate you guys. Thanks a lot. All right. All right. Thanks, God bless, Kramer. Bye.